your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, 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 friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets for our official podcast Twitter. As always, if you enjoy this episode and want to stay tuned for the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, or catch up on any previous episodes you may have missed, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Doing so is free, and make sure you never miss another beat. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. On tonight's episode, we are going to be taking a look at the Winnipeg Jets versus Edmonton Oilers Round 2. This is another road game, this one with a later start time at 10 p.m. Eastern my time. 9 p.m. for most of you Central Time Zone folks, so I'm sure a lot of you are probably bleary-eyed. If you're listening to this, it's been a long game, and I'm sure you all want to get to bed. Or maybe you're actually a smart person and you listen to this podcast on, on Sunday instead. But let's talk about the Jets, because I actually think that this performance from Winnipeg was a little bit of a strange one. Um, the Jets, for their part, unfortunately tried to match the uh, the 55 line against the, uh, the McDavid line, of course, which Paul Maurice has done every time. And when you look at this first period, it was very evident that as soon as McDavid and Shifley matched up, it was always going to be McDavid that won. Edmonton played with quite a bit of pace and aggression throughout these opening 20 minutes, and I felt like the Jets, to be honest, probably had a couple of really great saves from Hellebuck, but, you know, also did their best to try to neutralize the chances in the central slot area. Unfortunately, it didn't really work. By my eye, I thought that the Jets actually did okay in certain areas, but anytime the McDavid line came on, it was always a bit of a mess because, you know, inevitably you get some of the worst defensive pairings out there, and you've also got Shifley. Because Shifley's line's not really capable of keeping up with McDavid, you've got, like, Stastny and Wheeler trying to defend. That doesn't really work, and so it ends up creating, like, a cascading effect for any sort of zone possession when Edmonton has that line on the ice. There were only one or two shifts where the Jets actually got a really good matchup against, you know, the uh, the 55 versus 97 unit. And I, I think this might have actually been when Shifley created a nice high danger pass to uh, Blake Wheeler or Paul Stastny. It was intended for one of the two. Wheeler was the one who ended up seeing it and took a really great shot that actually forced Mike Smith to make a pretty great save. So, you know, that shift was fine, but the rest of the shifts for the Jets, not so great. Looking at the uh, the natural stat trick report of this period, it's kind of funny because I feel like Edmonton was credited with a lot of shot attempts, most of which were probably blocked by the Jets. I think Winnipeg did a lot of desperation defending, especially when it came time to do stuff like the penalty kill and, you know, any sort of even strength situations where you had to face McDavid's unit. Anytime that that 97 line was on the ice, the Jets just kind of got whooped, and I feel like Maurice's penchant for hard matching the 55 line every single time is ultimately going to kill this team. Thankfully, though, the Jets did get a couple of fluky goals. One of them was on the power play from the second unit. Nikolai Ehlers uh, sort of banked a shot off of, I don't know if it was like Andrew Kopp or somebody else. Kopp gets credit for the goal. I don't know if it was like an intended shot or a pass of some sort, but either way, it deflected uh, downwards and into the net. I don't think Mike Smith ever saw the puck. He was expecting what looked like a cross-seam pass, but it ended up hitting a skate and redirecting in. So very fortunate for the Jets, but they will certainly take it. The second goal was another deflection. Josh Morrissey actually had a decent point shot that he finally got through some traffic. This one found a a seeing eye seam 
And my take is that it probably would have gone in even without the deflection, but I think Nikolai Ehlers actually got credit for this one because he got his stick at the last second. Dubois was also there, I believe, at the left post, and it put the Jets up 2-0 despite not having a great first period. You know, Winnipeg really wasn't generating many offensive looks in part because, you know, so many shifts were spent inside the defensive zone trying to contain McDavid. And when the Jets finally got up the ice, one thing that I did notice was that that lack of blue line activation really didn't give the Jets forwards much support. They just really weren't able to create much at even strength, which is kind of a continuing trend with this team. So I wasn't super thrilled. Thankfully, the Jets were up 2-0, but unfortunately, you know, Maurice again went back to the well with 97 versus 55. And what you tend to see with that is that the McDavid line will just sort of cycle around you and create tons of chaos inside the slot. And unfortunately, that sort of chaos did lead to a great opportunity where McDavid found the puck in a like a bit of a dog pile and wristed it towards the far corner against Hellebuck. You know, Hellebuck didn't really have much of a chance. He'd had a couple of great saves already. Unfortunately, this one just blasted by him. So it was down to a one goal deficit. Which, against this Oilers team, is always very nerve-wracking because you know that McDavid, Yamamoto, Dreisaitl, all of these very skilled forwards, plus, you know, Yesipuya Yarvi, of course, they've all got really good shooting instincts, they can get into dangerous areas, and of course, anytime you see the Jets try to hard-match McDavid versus Shifley, it's just a recipe for disaster. The defensive pairings weren't really doing all that hot either. I felt like Forbort Pionk kind of struggled, especially in front of Hellebuck. They had some really sloppy passes and turnovers, and they just really couldn't clear out the, the crease like they were hoping to. DeMello and Morrissey were out there again. DeMello, you know, I didn't really notice him too much, um, but unfortunately, Morrissey definitely stuck out again. Aside from his nice assist, and he did have like a couple of really bad sequences towards the side of the net where he wasn't really in a great spot. It was particularly evident when he was doing the PK shift because, you know, every time you put him out on the PK shift with Tucker Pullman, you know, Pullman, I, I know that he's like a third pairing D, but sometimes you can tell that his defensive reads are actually still a little bit better than Josh Morrissey's. That said, you know, having both of them on the ice against like McDavid or Dreisaitl or Ryan Nugent Hopkins, just not really uh, super, super ideal. And certainly Morrissey was kind of pulled away from the left post and kind of abandoned his marking spot. You know, even when he, he's down there, he often kind of gets drawn into overcommitting or drifting around and he doesn't really recover back to his position. So I don't really know what you're supposed to do with him. A lot of his value at this point is just points because the rest of his defensive work, not so great. Aside from his assist, the best play of the period from Morrissey probably came when he stepped up in the neutral zone and actually had a very aggressive read and forced a turnover, which is nice. It created a scoring chance for Kyle Connor, a little bit too far out to make a, a, a real impact, but enough where it was like testing Mike Smith a bit. I guess you could say it was something the Jets at least created a chance. Other than that, though, you know, it was definitely Edmonton having a lot of the most dangerous opportunities, mostly with the McDavid line. None of the other lines were really as dangerous as 97's unit, not super surprising. But I can't say that it gave me great feelings for period number two and beyond. In just a sec, we'll take a look at what transpired in the 40 minutes after this first period. But before then, I thought you should know a little bit about why BetOnline.ag needs to be your one-stop shop for all your online betting needs. When it comes to the wild west of online betting, it's hard to find the most reliable and trustworthy names out there. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, international soccer, NHL, and so many other sports are all in full swing. Not into sports? No problem. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV with real-time, updated odds and props to almost anything you can imagine. Whether you want to bet on the next Stanley Cup champion or who you think is getting voted off your favorite reality TV show next, BetOnline also has you covered with all the news, scores, and odds you need to make the most informed bets possible. So stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action today. 
Head on over to betonline.ag on your desktop or your mobile device, and when you register for a free account, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Again, that's LOCKEDON for the 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are recapping Winnipeg versus Edmonton in their second game, a rubber match after Winnipeg's loss on Thursday. We're, of course, about to dive into period two and beyond, but before then, I did want to tell you a little bit about why Locked on Today needs to be in your daily podcast rotation. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked on Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked on Today podcast wherever you get your favorite shows. And now on to thoughts about the second period between the Winnipeg Jets and Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, what a wild period. Um, There was a lot that was happening. Uh, The Jets had a penalty or two. Um, Of course, I I felt like Winnipeg actually opened up their game significantly, which did create more offensive opportunities for the Jets and also made them pretty prone to counters, which the Oilers actually did a very good job of exploiting. For the most part, I felt like Edmonton, you know, when they got into very dangerous spots, guys like McDavid and some of these other players, they were taking pretty good shots. The nice thing about being a Winnipeg Jets fan is that you can always count on Connor Hellebuck to really make these fantastic saves, and he looks like he's in total beast mode now. When the Jets defenders, you know, seemingly falter and the forwards aren't really there in great supporting spots, you know, never fear, Connor Hellebuck is here, and he continues to just be a rocket net. I'm I'm very impressed with his season because I thought after last year he might take a bit of a step back. Instead, despite, you know, a rusty few starting games, Hellebuck has been pretty astoundingly good for most of the season. I've been very impressed with him. I think he's done a fabulous job of masking a lot of Winnipeg's lesser quality, so to speak. You really can't say enough about just how good he's been for this team and continues to be, so he has made a huge difference. He probably kept the Jets in this game uh, and certainly put the Jets on a better path with a 2-1 lead, and uh, Winnipeg is definitely in a position to defend that lead with Hellebuck in net. As far as the rest of the period is concerned, the Jets actually got a little bit unfortunate at a couple of moments. There was one time when uh, Mike Smith actually played the puck outside of his net, turned it over to the Jets, and the Jets basically were staring at an empty net and tried to wrist it home, but somehow Smith leaped across and managed to rob it with his glove. I don't even know how he got back, but somehow, you know, the Jets were still only uh, one goal up in this game. And then right at the end of the period, of course, Dylan DeMello uh, with Blake Wheeler ended up having a really good offensive opportunity. Wheeler wristed it past Smith, and it hit the post. Puck comes back out. Um, Smith goes sprawling out, and there's like a trailing Oilers skater So DeMello basically has to backhand it, you know, without really looking at the net. Unfortunately, this being Dylan DeMello, he only backhanded it right into Smith's pads because he really couldn't see and he doesn't exactly have great finishing. So the Jets ended up having to be content with a 2-1 lead heading into the intermission. On the positive side of things, I will say that the Jets were certainly creating good scoring chances. The third line got a little bit involved. Mason Appleton had one or two nice shots, a couple of really shifty sequences inside the neutral zone. The second line had one or two decent looks, and I, I felt like Dubois has been more noticeable in the past few games. He's playing more of like a nice distributor and human wrecking ball kind of role, which is exactly how you would expect him to. I think the only thing that he doesn't really do right now is because he's playing with Nikolai Ehlers, he's not really able to use his net driving presence as, as much because Ehlers is definitely the one who is the transition skater and the guy who's carrying the puck inside the offensive zone. So Dubois is more of like a supporting role, especially down in front of the net. 
it does detract a bit from what makes PLD so special compared to a lot of the centers out there, but I, I can live with it, certainly. I think down the road, you probably do want to see um, maybe a different orientation where Dubois is able to become that more dominant carrying net driver because, you know, as good as he is right now, even without it, I think his game has been a little bit inconsistent without that presence and certainly not getting as many touches on the puck as he's probably used to might be holding him back from being as good as he could be for this team. On the defensive side of things, nothing to really write home about. The Jets kind of got burned on a number of counters. Um, Winnipeg's defensive organization in front of Hellebuck is scattershot to say the least. Hellebuck being Hellebuck certainly kept it within, you know, shooting distance for the Jets. I think Winnipeg is very much relying on him in a game like this where Edmonton right now has a lot of the speed. For as fast as the Jets can be on certain counters, it's also very obvious that Winnipeg is not really as fast as like a McDavid or, or some of those other players. And it's not just the edge work and speed. I think sometimes Edmonton is faster with their puck movement and certainly in their decision making, which is, you know, a bit of a strange thing because it could be that the Jets actually have the ability to, to play like that, but unfortunately, they don't always do that. Sometimes Winnipeg just sort of blindly passes, or when they stick handle, they turn it over very sloppily. It's just a weird situation with the Jets where it feels like they're constantly hamstringing themselves with, you know, potential greatness, but then they make these really weird decisions on the puck, really bad passes, or they handle the puck like a grenade and kind of kill themselves over it. So I don't really understand Winnipeg. I think they're a strange team, and in games like this, you basically have to hope that Hellebuck continues to hold out and that the Jets get lucky on some of these scoring chances. Winnipeg got very close on a number of opportunities. And in fairness, probably could have been up by one or two more goals, but I think the same could be said that Edmonton certainly deserved to have another tying goal. The Oilers have been much better this game than they were in the last. Definitely more ambitious, not really looking to clog the neutral zone as much. But, you know, for all of the counters and hard work that these two teams put forth, it was still a, you know, scoreless period. So on to the third period in just a moment. Before we go any further, though, here's why you need to be tuned into Built Bar Madness. For those of you who are longtime listeners of this podcast, by now you've probably heard me evangelize about Bilt Bars before. If for some reason you don't know what a Bilt Bar is, it's the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, nutritious, and delicious-tasting protein bar. Bilt Bars are always covered in 100% chocolate and have an insane variety of flavors to choose from. But you know what? When it comes down to it, there can only be one truly greatest flavor. And now it's your turn to help decide which flavor emerges supreme in Built Bar Madness. To cast your vote, go to BuiltBar.com pages brackets every weekday and check out the daily matchups. Our next matchup will be on 3 22, which is this coming Monday, and it will help decide the final round of eight. This matchup will be between Coconut Brownie Chunk and Lemon Almond Cheesecake. I've said Lemon Almond Cheesecake is probably my flavor of choice from the new flavor lineups that they released uh, recently. But that was, of course, before I tried the coconut brownie chunk, and I have to say the, the coconut brownie chunk for me is probably the flavor that I'd vote for here. But if you want to place your own vote, go to BuiltBar.com slash pages slash brackets and cast your vote on Monday. Grab a few Built Bars while you're there, and be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON15 to receive 15% off your next order. Uh, welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We, uh, we're recapping Winnipeg versus Edmonton, and if you can tell by my dejected sighs and sad tone. Yeah, Winnipeg blew their lead and ended up losing to the uh, Oilers. If you saw Thursday's game, which was a pretty close affair, you'd think, well, maybe the Jets actually had a close run again, you know, in this third period, and the Jets maybe got a bit unlucky. No, didn't happen. Winnipeg basically started to collapse as the game wore on, and it's not super surprising that defensively they were a mess. Offensively, they really couldn't create much. And when the Jets start struggling, they just sort of run out of ideas, and I think that's been a consistent theme with this team over the past several years. 
Winnipeg, when they have to improvise and make in-game adjustments, they just don't really handle that well at all. In fact, you don't really see many adjustments, period. Winnipeg often goes to the exact same things over and over again. Look, I I get that there are only so many changes that you can make with this roster, but at like a base level, there are some very key tactical things that the Jets don't do, and right now they're killing Winnipeg, you know? For one thing, Maurice definitely loves putting out 55 on almost every shift against McDavid, and that, that matchup just doesn't work. You know, we saw a couple of shifts where, like, Lowry's line went out there, which is the ideal matchup line against McDavid, and it actually went pretty well. You know, it, it is what it is, but I'm just frustrated that Winnipeg will still chase this matchup, and I, I don't think it's just the, the last change thing on the road. You know, the Jets do this at home and on the road equally. And it comes down to Maurice actually thinking that this unit handles that top line about as well as any other line on Winnipeg's roster could, which is just not true. The top line gets absolutely plastered, and it's even worse now because you've got Stastny and Wheeler who are both slow, which doesn't really help, you know, Shifley do anything. And let's be honest, Shifley's defensive acumen isn't exactly top tier. When you're playing the McDavid line, you basically can't afford to make a single mistake, and unfortunately, every time the Jets saw that line, they were making mistakes left and right, and it it actually did punish them on multiple occasions. The back-breaking goal came in the third period when the Jets gave up a, a bit of an open spot to, of all people, Darnell Nurse. I have no idea why Nurse was so completely open. There were like four Jet skaters in the corner with McDavid, and Dreisaitl was running behind the net, and then, you know, Nurse basically had an entirely open left flank to uh, slap a goal home, which was very frustrating to watch, and I feel like the Jets basically just sort of backed off and didn't do enough. And then, you know, not too long later, things got even worse because the Jets were now in a tied situation, And then the real fun moment happened just a few minutes later when uh, a counter from the 97 line again, the one you can't make a mistake against, the 55 line was out there, got caught on the shift, and, you know, Edmonton went up the ice. DeMello was on the right side, and I think he tried to pinch inside the neutral zone and shut down the counter, expecting that, you know, Blake Wheeler would be there trailing McDavid to give support, but Wheeler was way behind, and DeMello didn't even realize it until it was way too late, and McDavid and, you know, Drysaddle are in on a two-on-one, Drysaddle gets the feed and does not miss. And that, that was it, you know. Um, they scored an empty net later, but it didn't really matter, you know. The Jets basically got shut down from there with the same trap and counter bullcrap that Edmonton used in the previous game on Thursday. Unlike that game on Thursday, the Jets just got outplayed in, in a lot of different areas, and I felt like they didn't really deserve to win. They didn't really deserve to be tied either. Aside from the moments where, like, Mike Smith was really shaky, I, I felt like the Jets, in terms of, like, their quality of play, they just weren't good enough. And I continue to see this with this team against squads that actually have a, like a set game plan against them. You know, that neutral zone clogging thing that they do when they have a lead with Edmonton. That's that's one of the more frustrating things to watch because Winnipeg just keeps trying the same zone exits, transitions, all the same stuff. And Edmonton just snuffs it out completely. And so, you know, the Jets basically fell apart in the third period and had no real answer for any of what Edmonton did. And I I think that that's an indictment of this coaching staff and the fact that the team just doesn't really look like a contender. We all know that the team is not exactly built for the postseason, but there's been a lot of talk about bringing in a David Savard, a Matias Ekholm, some sort of defensive support. And to be honest, I I think that that's actually a mistake. Looking at the way that this team played and has been playing over the past several games, you know, you might as well just ride with what you've got. The roster changing isn't going to stop the tactical acumen from being a problem for this team, and that's it's the main thing that's holding it back. You know, the Jets' D still aren't activating offensively all that much, and when they do, they don't really have the right guys to actually fit this uh, fit this roster or the style of a really active defense. 
the top line is basically doing nothing throughout most of the game. I mean, they, they don't always get plastered like this, but certainly in other games, they haven't really been scoring many even-strength goals, and their, their chances created, you know, it's basically down to Paul Stastny in front of the net. The second line is doing its best, but even then, it's not always enough. You know, Ehlers, Dubois, and Connor can only carry so much of the goal-scoring burden. The third line is doing its best as well, but of course, Kopp and Lowry probably need to be split apart. Appleton is still pretty decent, but again, not really somebody that you're going to be relying on for like 30 or 40 goals. And then the fourth line is out there. Perot does his thing. The other guys maybe, you know, to a lesser degree. But you just think about it and you think about the fact that the Jets, you know, willingly chase a lot of these matchups that don't really make sense. And it makes me wonder how much value there is in really trying to push the matter and trying to make a run this year. Until Maurice learns to trust his team a little bit more and do some of this stuff, Winnipeg is just going to be mediocre no matter who's on the roster. Tonight, they were a little more than mediocre at times and also a bit worse than mediocre, so I don't really know how I feel about this team. I think the trade deadline should be something more quieter. You know, Maurice basically said he's not intending to play Vili Heinola at all after Chevy was talking about internal ads, which tells you exactly where the thought processes of these two people are. I mean, Maurice is completely on a different tangent, and, you know, Chevy doesn't really seem to have much ruling over the lineups. So uh, I, I don't know how I feel. I'm kind of frustrated. I'm sort of annoyed. And this is going to be a thing that I think keeps happening throughout the rest of the season and into the playoffs. But, you know, I, I've done enough ranting. I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Maybe you think Maurice has been doing a good job with the coaching staff. Let me know at HLLivingLoco on Twitter or at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Give me some suggestions and thoughts. Maybe I'll talk about it on the next episode. For now, though, that will do it for tonight's episode. Uh, upcoming this week, we have Tuesdays on Locked On NHL. It's all about East Coast bias as Locked On Sabres Jost Ho DiBiase and Mike DiStefano of Locked On Leafs take a look at the biggest stories in the Eastern Conference. From Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin to the defending champion Lightning, the up-and-coming Rangers, and everyone in between, Locked On NHL is the place to be for Eastern Conference intel every Tuesday. Subscribe to Locked On NHL on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.